everything in life has a central point. It has a hub. It has a center. When you think chicken sandwiches, what do you think of? Yeah, hopefully, hopefully you say Chick-fil-A. And then uh, pizza. Let's think local. Benny Vitale's. And then uh, politics. Yeah, the hub would be D.C., Washington, D.C. Baseball, Cooperstown, New York. Football, Canton, Ohio. How about disappointment? When you, when you think sort of the hub of disappointment, maybe your mind is going to different places, but when I think of disappointment, I think of our team, our Fredericksburg Nationals team. Man, to start the way they did, man, it was rough. And they've done a great job in the last couple of months, but man, the first, it seemed like 20 games, they were quite the disappointment. How about Christianity? Many of us, our minds go to, go to a church building. And like I mentioned last week, I grew up going to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And if we had revival or mission conferences, man, we were there every day of the week. Man, we'd go there on Wednesday nights, and we would go on Tuesday and Thursday and Monday and Friday. It was like every day of the week we were at church. And for me, and like some of you, growing up in church was the hub of our faith. When you think about it, our actions spoke louder than words. We would go to church. We would sing about God. We would sing to God. We would learn about God. And then we would learn about things um, to do so that we could live out our Christian faith. And it, th- it seemed like everything centered on Sunday. It centered around church. But Jesus said it first. Going to the temple, going to a building was not going to be the central point of Christianity. We said this last week, and we read this last week. Let's kind of jump back in. Uh, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through. And I'm sure at that moment, those who were listening to him were, were thinking, well, the temple, uh, the high priest, the holy of holies. Like They were trained to think that the hub of their faith was the temple. Instead, Jesus says, me. He says, through me. Man, this was offensive. This was scandalous. And it meant that Jesus was greater than the temple. And the only thing greater than the temple was, was God. And so, in essence, Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm God. It also means that if he was God, that meant that God was no longer in the temple. He was among his people. Jesus was God in the flesh. So if you're a regular Jew, in order to get connected to God, you had to go through the temple. It was the only way. Once a year, they did what's called the Day of Atonement. And the high priest would go in, and there was this huge, huge curtain, about four, six inches, four to six inches thick. It was about 60 uh, 60 feet tall. And it was designed to separate you from God. It was designed to keep you separated from God, to keep God inside the Holy of Holies. Jesus is coming around saying, no, it's not going to be that way anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's how it was, but it all pointed to me. That all served a greater purpose, and now I'm the purpose, that I'm going to be the sacrifice once and for all. I'm going to be the high priest. Now, the religious leaders, they didn't didn't like this, because this meant one thing, that their way of life would become obsolete. No more power, no more influence, no more wealth, no more control. It also meant that their way of life, 
would be replaced by Jesus's way of life. And they didn't like some of the things that Jesus taught. Jesus taught that you pray for those who persecute you. You bless those who hurt you. Jesus was caught teaching that if a Roman soldier tells you to go one mile, you're willing to go two. There are things that Jesus talked about that was very countercultural to what the religious leaders taught. And if this was going to be the new way of life, that meant that their way of life was going to be obsolete. And this is where we get the idea of a personal relationship with God through Jesus. Throughout the New Testament, when we believe that Jesus died on our behalf, that Jesus died for our sins because our sins separated us from God and we needed to be forgiven in order for that relationship to be restored. And the only way that we could pay back is the fact that we couldn't. So Jesus came to be our substitute. And then when we believe in his death and resurrection, we are forgiven. And then God gives us his Holy Spirit He places His Spirit in us. He's always with us. We learned last week that the new temple is the body of Christ. So, if the death and resurrection of Jesus is so central to Christianity, if that's how we can have our relationship with God made right is through the death and resurrection, if that's central, is that the hub, that's the center of Christianity, then what about church? And why do we need church? I mean, think about it. I can, I can sing worship songs. I have access to worship songs 24-7. I can go to Spotify. I can go to Apple Music. I can go to any, anywhere, really. Think about this. I'm sure you would agree that I can listen to messages on demand whenever I want it. Whenever I, I want to, whenever I want it, I have access to all that stuff. But for some of us, the reason why we sort of left church was actually more than that. For some of us, we have nothing against Jesus, but we have something against those who hurt us. We have something against the person who judged us, who didn't accept us, who who wouldn't allow us to attend, or they said some really hurtful things to us. And so we hadn't gone back. Or maybe for you, it's that you're tired, you're disillusioned by the megachurch pastors who have fallen. There's a moral failure. And it's just like, I just can't go back. And it may be for megachurches, but it's also small churches that are impacted by that. And you, you just say, I just haven't gone back. Or maybe you haven't gone back because you're angry with Christians that are anti-everything. And they use social media as a platform to, to speak down to others. So you're thinking, why do I even need a church? Why do I need to be around other people? Why can't it just be between me and God? I mean, if, he, if He's in me, then why can't I sort of do it anywhere I want to and whenever I want to? Why do we need church? You know, we're not the first ones to struggle with this. Early on in after the resurrection, there was some confusion of what Christianity was. What it would be. What it would become. 
the apostles were very clear that Christianity wasn't Judaism 2.0, but in fact, it was a brand new movement started by Jesus and being sustained by Jesus, that he was building this movement. And it wasn't limited to a place. The reason why this was so important is because the temple was the place where people went to for, for many years. And then people started buy into this idea that, okay, that I don't need to go to the temple. And then people do what most people do, right? They take things to the extreme. And so they thought in their minds, well, if we don't have to go to the temple, we really don't have to go anywhere. You know, when things are addressed in the New Testament letters, it's usually to correct something that sort of went off the track. Notice how the writer of Hebrews begins to sort of address the confusion about this whole idea of meeting together. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, now let me just call a quick time out. Look, when we place our faith in Jesus, we're adopted into God's family. And so the words brother and sister in this letter, it refers to being connected to each other because we're adopted into God's family. The first church that Jenny and I served at, I didn't like this. But they would call me Brother Jeff. Oh, I cringed every time I heard it. So I would tell the kids not to call me that, but to just call me by my first name. Just call me Jeff. And then when I was ordained, um, I had the title Pastor. And so people would call me Pastor Jeff. And in case you might be wondering, we don't do that here because, I mean, how many of us when we see our brother or we see our sister, our sibling, we say, hey, what's going on, brother Nick? Oh, I miss you so much. Give me a hug. How many of us do that? No, we usually use their first name. All right, back to the letter. He says, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Okay, how do we become adopted? Through the blood of Jesus. It's important to understand that we no longer need a high priest. Jesus becomes our high priest. We don't need someone else to have access to God. Jesus was that person. Now notice how we can boldly enter the presence of God. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. Look, Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the complete and final sacrifice to reconcile us to God. This is why we don't do sacrifices anymore, because Jesus was the complete sacrifice. And when we accept that Jesus took our place, that he was our sacrifice, we're forgiven. That means we don't have to carry around the guilt and shame anymore. No, we're forgiven. We can enter boldly before God because we're forgiven. We are covered by Christ's blood. We are forgiven. We don't have to carry the shame and guilt. Instead, we identify with forgiveness. He continues, he says, let us tightly, hold tightly without wavering the the hope that we affirm. He's talking about the second coming. 
of Christ. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Look, because of everything that God has done to, to, to restore our relationship with him, okay, so it, he promised that Jesus was going to come. He fulfilled that. Jesus is promising that he's going to come again. And he's going to fulfill that. The reason why this is so important is that we can trust God. God makes promises and he keeps promises. That if God promised that he was going to come back, that we can bank on that. We can trust him. Okay? Because we can trust him, that means that we can trust his instructions on how to live on this side of heaven, regardless of how we feel about other Christians or other people. He continues, he says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The word motivate, I'm not sure if you watched, have, have watched any Westerns, but a spur is, is used to gently encourage the horse to do what? Yeah, to move, to move. What encourages you to move? What encourages me to move? I know for me, when someone does something good for me, when someone does something thoughtful for me, man, that inspires me to want to do something for them and for other people. Man, that inspires me to loving good works. Now, what the author does so brilliantly is he does this. He distinguishes a private faith and a personal faith. He distinguishes a private faith from a personal faith. Look, for some of us, man, we've kept our faith private because we don't want to be hurt. We don't want to open up to other people. We don't want to come to church, open up, and then get hurt by someone. And for others of us, man, we keep our faith private because we fear what others think of us who are outside the faith. Are they going to label us like those anti-everything Christians who, who do the opposite of loving good works. But think about this, man. If we get this right, if we all do our part and serve, love, do good works, what's, what's to walk away from? Think about that. What's to walk away from if we're living out the center command of Jesus, the, the heart of all the commands that Jesus used he said, just as I have loved you, love one another. Man, we got to get this right because there's coming a day as he's promised he's coming back. That means there's coming a day where we're not going to receive that cancer diagnosis. There's coming a day where we're not have to uh, see that abuse or experience that abuse. And there's coming a day where we're not going to have to bury someone that we love. And there's coming a day where we will not see and live in a divided country. But until then, we need each other. We need God's family to see us through this life by reminding us and motivating us to focus on Christ, to focus on his command. And the way that we do that is we love and serve others with good works, with thoughtful works. When these things happen, I don't know about you, but for me, when these things happen, these bad, tragic things when they happen. My natural pull is to go private, to, to, to isolate. By gathering together, man, I'm able, <laughs> I'm able to keep it personal. I'm able to have other people speak into me and help me through those things. 
because it helps me fight my pull to isolate. Guys, we need to gather because unconditional love matters. We, 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 we need to gather because when unconditional love is on display, people are able to experience it and practice it. I mean, we need to gather because unconditional love needs to be personally experienced and publicly practiced. Unconditional love is exactly the kind of love that God has for you. But how well do you understand unconditional love? Look, we live in a culture that does not practice unconditional love. If it did, it would not have a cancel culture. We would not experience a cancel culture where, where people have done things 40 years ago and they're being held accountable. They're being canceled because of something they did as a kid or as a teenager or as a college student. It's just not how our world works. Instead, God loves you with this unconditional love, this agape love. Now, the Greeks had about seven, eight, nine words for love, depending on what scholar you, you, you follow. It's a lot of words to define love. The top on the list, the highest form of love was agape. But it was the least practiced form of love. It was hard to love someone with agape. Sacrifice. The sacrificial love. But man, we as the church are called to love this way. When Jesus says, just as I have loved, that's the word agape. Sacrificial. Highest form of love. That's why it matters. The reason why it matters is because the local church should be the expression of this. The church is where we should experience unconditional love so that we can understand it better. The church is where we get to practice it because it's a gathering of people who aren't all like you. And let's be honest, they're not as easy to love like you. The local church ought to be that place. That's why gathering matters. Notice that this was meant to be done with others. Notice what Jesus says. He says, just as I have loved you, love one another. This, this wasn't meant to be kept private, our faith. If you had a bad church experience, it wasn't Jesus' fault. It was someone else's fault. It was an imperfect person's fault. The local church, even though it's the perfect place to experience a people who practice unconditional love, it's also full of imperfect people. Guys, there's not going to be a perfect church because church is made up of people like you and me. And that's sort of the point. When imperfect people can experience unconditional love and practice it by giving it to others, it sets the tone for us to understand God's love for us. Okay. May I give you three habits that I believe that we all need to consider building into our life? Number one, reestablish a Sunday morning gathering habit. Reestablish a Sunday morning gathering habit. And the key word is gather. I know some of us, man, we watch online, we watch on demand. Look, that's not gathering, that's binge watching. All right, that's, that's watching on demand. I'm not doing it with anybody. I'm kind of doing it by myself. Maybe I'm doing it while other things are happening or maybe you are on at 1030. 
but yet you have food going. You're cleaning. You're not really focused, which means you're not really gathering. There needs to be intention with providing yourself an opportunity to love unconditionally, and that always involves other people. Notice that Jesus used others because, look, it's easy to unconditionally love yourself. It's super easy. I always give myself the benefit of the doubt, right? I always sacrifice for myself. That's easy. But what's so hard is doing it for others. It is unconditional loving others. That is hard, man. Two, intentionally join a small group. Man, we are made to be known. We are made for relationships. We are made for community. Group launch is going to start in less than a month. We're going to have weekly, monthly, seasonal groups to offer my encouragement to join a small group. And three, decide to be a spiritual leader and find a spiritual leader. This is about accountability. When I know that someone is depending on me, man, it forces me to put other people first. So, this may be volunteering on a team. This may be jumping into a small group. The fact is that I'm putting myself under somebody and I'm over somebody. I'm leading and I'm following. I'm following and I'm leading. It might be that you find someone that's a little further down the spiritual road than you. And you're like, hey, can we meet together? Maybe once a month or once every quarter. I just want to learn from you. So with all of that said, what is one gathering habit that you need to integrate into your life? Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to be reminded of the importance of gathering together. For some of us, we don't want to do it. So Father, help us to want to do it because you've called us to do it. Father, for those who are fighting against it because of a bad experience, help them not to put off what you commanded because it's not your fault that they had a bad experience. Father, help them to follow you because that's what Christianity is about. It's following you, not following a person, not following an imperfect person. It's following you. Father, help us to do everything that we can to motivate each other on. Father, provide us opportunities to love and serve with good and thoughtful works. Jesus, thank you for being our example. In Jesus' name, amen.